Praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Um, it's so good to be here in Alaska again. It's my last time to address you. I want to just say thank you again to Brother Blackshear for inviting us up here and for to Brother Parrish and the district board for allowing us to come. It's been a real pleasure. It treated us so nice and allowed us to see Alaska, you know, uh, for the first time. And it is it has lived up to expectation and beyond. Uh, but it's good to be uh, here today. I am uh, continuing to speak very specifically to church planters. So I know everybody here is not a church planter, but I hope you'll glean something uh, from it. But I'm, I am focusing on that. You know, planting a church, um, as I said yesterday, it's difficult. And I, there's a lot of frustration in it because a in fact I read a book called the e-myth many years ago it's talking about building businesses and a lot of times you get somebody who's really good at say a carpenter it's really good at building things and so he decides he's going to start his own business and uh, he's really good at building things but he's really bad at uh, getting the invoices together and charging the right price and all of that. There's a lot more that goes into building a house than being a good carpenter, right? Same thing with doctors. A, a, you can have a great dentist that is really wonderful at fixing teeth, but there's a lot of other things that goes along with having a successful dental practice, and church planting is like that. You can have somebody that's a great soul winner, and maybe they've won many people in a local church. Then they think, well, surely they can plant a church. Well, there's more to it than just winning souls. Okay, that's certainly part of it. Uh, you get a great preacher. Guy can preach. He can have uh, the camp meeting on fire. And he thinks, well, surely I can go plant a church. And so he goes out and and it finds out it's a little different preaching to five than it is preaching to 500, right? And so it's, it's complicated, and there's a lot of pieces that have to come together. And so you have to be systematic about it. You've got to recognize you're not going to have all the tools. Nobody is created with all the tools. So you're going to have to get some help in areas. You're going to, God's going to bring you some things, but... Uh, I want to tell you, of course, we talked about fishing uh, yesterday, and Jesus said, I'll make you to become fishers of men. And uh, a man who makes his living fishing has to be very systematic about it, and it's a different game than just sport fishing. And so I want to I tell you today, and I'm going to try to give you a lot of information today, and I'm going to probably teach to the bell rings uh, I did teach church planning at IBC, so I can teach forever, okay? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I want to tell you how I fish, okay? I'm just going to tell you how I fish, and uh, you will have to adjust some things, but uh, I, forgive me, I hate all these officials being here admitting this. I hope I don't lose my license, but I did see on Discovery Channel a show uh, called uh, uh, The Deadliest Catch, and it's crab fishing in the Bering Sea. And there's a bunch of boats there, and I don't really recommend you watch it. There's too many bleeps in it. They get fishermen cuss a little bit. They try to bleep it all out. But, it's, it, uh, but what I did see is a bunch of boats, and they're all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to catch as many crab as possible. And it seemed like they're all doing the same thing. They're getting different results. But you look a little closer and they're all adjusting something. Some fish with big pots, some smaller pots. Some fish deeper than others. They choose a different place to fish. Some use cod and herring and they bait different some bait heavier and they it's just subtle difference but the bottom line is they got a pot they put bait in it they throw it over the side let it sit there a while hope crab get in it pull it up empty it and then do it again right 
And they just little things along the way, but you have they're systematic about it. Uh, Brother uh, Huntley told me he was in the office with Brother Morell Cornwell and about to go out to preach. And he's Brother Cornwell looked at him and said, Wayne said, you want to know how to build a great church? And Brother Huntley said, absolutely, tell me. And there was a copy machine sitting over here. And Brother Cornwell pushed a button on the copy machine, just started spitting out copies. He said, find something that works and keep doing it. Right? That's pretty simple. Well, this is what I keep doing right here. Uh, I developed this. I came back from South Africa, a furlough replacement for Sister Wilma Nix, and I'd worked for Brother Nix as youth pastor for about four years, and that church had been plateaued at 225 for 15 years. And Brother Nix said, Scott, I know you want to start a church in Ann Arbor, but I want you to come back, if you would, and be my outreach director. Let's get this church off a of dead center. And it was, it was a good church. I mean, dead center sounds derogatory. It was a great church, 225, but he wasn't happy with it being 225. And so uh, he said, let's grow this church, and then in 18 months I'll help you start a church in Ann Arbor. So I said, Okay. So he gave me the best people in that church, the top five leaders in that church. And we sat in a room. We had a man from that had, uh, he was a business consultant. He had reorganized the Whirlpool Corporation, and he had helped uh, Ford Motor Company get their ISO 9000, I think I'm saying that right, certification. And so he understood systems. Um, and processes, and so he sat in a room with us, and we tried to figure out, if you're going to fix something, you got to figure out how it works first, right? And some people just don't know how churches grow, okay? If you've never examined the process, and up until that point, I had never examined the process that makes a church grow. So we sat in the room, and we analyzed every process of how a person comes from the street to how they become a established foundational family in the church, and we uh analyzed all of that, and we developed a system that I've been using now uh, for over 20 years. And I don't change it much. I adjust it a little bit, but it's basically uh, the same thing. Now, here are the elements of the system if you're starting a church. Now, I don't, now I'm just telling you how I do it, okay? So I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. I'm not saying there's nobody that can do it a different way. I'm just telling you how I catch fish, right? Uh, you got to get a boat, all right? You got to start a, ch- if you're going to start a church, start a church. Start having church, I, I don't really know how to start a church without starting to have church, okay? You got to, some, you got to get an address, you got to get a building, and you got to set the time for your service and start having service, right? Now you can think about starting a church, and you can and, and, and there's a lot of, uh, I have taught Bible studies in a town for four or five months before I started Sunday service, but uh, there's no substitute for the church. You just got to start having church. You got to get a hook in the water as soon as possible. No souls are one sitting in your living room surfing for neat logos online. You can prepare, you can get your logo, you can have church car. Just remember, you're not catching fish unless there's bait in the water, right? You can oil a boat, you can fix a boat, you can paint the deck, and all that has to be done. But you're not catching fish by painting the boat, right? And so you've got to be focused. Uh, you, you have to decide... Uh, once you get to a place, you have to have traffic flow. And we set up five departments, and I'll talk to you about those. Evangelism, you have to have a crowd, okay? You start your church, you got to figure out a way to get people to come to your church. Now, that's what I do. I, I have a focus, and, and when you get out there and you start, if you decide to go out evangelizing Saturday, you got to tell you it's not enough just to say hey um, my name's Scott Sistrunk uh, do you want Jesus okay that's too vague it's too I'm very specific I'm inviting them to come to my church on Sunday at 10 30 okay 
you know, when when you go fishing, and I don't know much about fishing, but uh, I've done a little bit of fishing, you, you decide before you go what you're going to fish for. You're fishing for uh, bluegill, are you fishing for bass, are you fishing for white perch? Uh, what, what are you fishing for? Because it all requires different size hooks, different bait. I wouldn't recommend going... Uh, white perch fishing with a number six hook with a cricket. Okay, you don't do that. You, you, you have to have a larger hook. You need minnows. Okay, me and Brother Cock were talking about white perch and brim or bluegill. That's Louisiana fishing. I don't know what about Alaska fishing. Y'all are in a different league, okay? Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's, you, you got to decide what you're going to catch. And so you got to uh, go out there knowing you get that in prayer. You have to find, God, who are you sending me here for? you got to understand God is knocking doors already in your city. Okay, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open, I will come in and sup with him. God's already doing outreach in your city. That's why he's been moving on you sometimes two or three, five, six years to get to that place because God has some people there. He's sending you to reach. And so you have to say, God, how do I reach this people? What bait do I use? God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go out uh, passing out flyers? Do you want me to do Facebook advertising? Do you want me to do Google AdWords? Or do you want me to buy a billboard? Uh, where, what area of town do you want me to reach out to? You've got to get that in prayer. I can't help you with that. It's different from every area. Okay? Now, uh, just like there's a narrow window. It's just like with bait. I mean, there's not unlimited uh, types of bait to use in fishing. Okay, I mean, you, it's pretty narrow, but you got to choose one, right? And so there's a lot of stuff out there. But uh, I, I will tell you when uh, I when I went to Ann Arbor, uh, I was uh, it was of course I was 28 years old, I think. And um, I didn't know anything about winning souls. I'm a fifth-generation apostolic. Most generational apostolics have no idea how to win a soul. We've been raised around church all our life. We know how to do church. We know how to uh, preach, and we know how to do all the church things. But when it comes to winning a soul, we just have no clue. And I had no clue. And so um, I just, and there was no foothold in that city, nothing. I went out on Wednesdays and passed out flyers and knocked on doors. Now, previous to that, I had done telemarketing. Most effective outreach deal I ever did in my life was telemarketing. I won 22 people in one year through telemarketing. The first three foundational families in Ann Arbor, I won through telemarketing. Okay, Now, I tried it later and it didn't work at all so <laughs> that bait dried up but uh, you, I don't know what God's going to have but you, you know what you get it like brother Cornwell said you just keep doing it and so you've got to uh, figure out how to get people For, if you don't know you can't figure it out I try a little bit of everything you just do everything you've ever heard of everything you've ever heard of try it and depends on if you got money or you don't have money. If you don't have money, you're going to be hoofing it, right? And if you got money, you can put ads in things and you can buy advertising and all of that. It, a lot of this depends on your budget, but you have to get people to come in the back door of your church. Okay, and I want to tell you something. I've anointed a lot of pews in my life, but it doesn't work if that's all you do. If that's all you do, and, and here's a good, good point for you. On Sunday, when every home missionary does it, and it's terrible, but you do it anyway, you're trying to do pre-service prayer, and you just keep looking at the door. And if you got windows, you're looking at the parking lot, right? And that rising feeling of anxiety as 1030 rolls around, who's coming? And it's 1025, and I'm getting nervous just thinking about it. <laughs> we had a church in Ann Arbor that had all glass, on, uh, big windows, floor-to-ceiling windows, all down both sides, and you could see the 
whole parking lot. It was horrible trying to build faith for the service when no cars are coming in the parking lot. And I had to figure out, I had to pray with my back to the parking lot. Um, that still didn't work. I still had doubt, you know. But, I, I, uh, but the question you ask yourself is, do I have a reasonable expectation of somebody coming in the back door today? Did I call somebody? Did I pass out a flyer? Did I do outreach? What is my expectation? If you've done nothing that week, you can expect all you want to, somebody come in the back door, and they're not coming. The command is, go ye. Not, they'll come. Right? It's go ye. And, and you've got to go. And so you, on Sunday's a good time. And, you, and, and really, it's not a good time. It's a bad time. You should do this on Friday. So now you've got Saturday to correct your mistake if, if you've gotten distracted. And don't you know the devil's going to try to distract you from reaching out? He will distract you. If he can distract you from reaching out, then he will. And so you have to stop and say, uh, what have I done this week? And, of course, as you grow, and it may not be you personally, but what has the church done? Because you have to have a crowd. You have to have visitors. So that is my first target. i got to get people to come in the door. Now, other, some people are different. You may be this guy, okay? And talking to Brother Farmer, he may be this guy. Jerry Staten, if I believed in reincarnation, if I came back, I'd want to be reincarnated as Jerry Staten, okay? Because he has all these natural soul-winning gifts, okay? I don't have a lot of natural soul-winning gifts. I'm an introvert. I, I don't mix well with people. And when I was in high school, I never ate lunch in the school cafeteria one time without my friend Hansel Stanley coming with me. Because walking into that crowd, finding where to sit, who to sit with, starting a conversation, it wasn't me. Um, I, I can't, I'm not the guy that goes to Starbucks and guys reading the newspaper and I pull his newspaper and say, hey, do you know Jesus? You know, I mean, would you like a Bible study? I, I've not, I don't have that skill set, okay? So uh, if you do, then use it. But I deal, I use, when people are on my territory, I'm a different guy, okay? So uh, that's why I, I'm telling you the way I fish. If you had, can get a lot of Bible studies going on in the community without them coming to church, then do it, okay? Uh, but... Uh, that's not the way uh, I'm able to do it. Whatever it takes, you've got you've to get people and get them connected. So I get people. Then the, the goal is to get them to come to church the first time, and then all my efforts are focused on getting them to come the second time. And then my efforts are focused on getting them to come the third time. Pretty simple, right? But... The first time, and then you got to make that connection with them, make them feel comfortable. They've got to feel something in your service, okay? They've got to see value in spending their time at your church. So that's why I make it as nice as I can, as comfortable as I can. I make them feel as welcome as I can. Because I want them to come back the second time, right? And then, uh, if they come back the second time, I'm probably going to have dinner with them. Sometime, somewhere along the way, I'll, I'll have coffee with them. I'm going to have dinner with them. I'm going to make a connection outside of church with them, and I want them to come back the third time. Now, if they come back the third time, I'm going to enroll them in a Bible study, okay? Uh, I'm not really going to ask them if they want a Bible study. I'm going to enroll them in a Bible study, right? I've got a Bible study chart setting up 
with my visitor cards and my church cards, and I'm going to take them over to that table, and I'm going to say, listen, I want to show you something that you really need, you and your husband, you and your wife, whatever, you really need to do. This, if you're going to make a decision about coming to this church or any church, you need to make that decision based on the Word of God. And if you don't, all churches get their authority and their reason for existence from the Bible. So you need to know what we teach and if we're teaching the Bible. This Bible study gives you uh, an overview of the Bible and gets you familiar with your Bible. It doesn't answer every question about your Bible, but it gives you an overview and you'll know how to get around in your Bible. What's a good time for you all? Okay, 7 o'clock, all right, where, you know, and uh, I, I just make the appointment right there. I do it at church. I do it on my territory, okay, uh, because I know this. If I don't implant the word in them, we're living in a day when people, uh, I grew up in a church in Jackson, Mississippi. We were in a Bible study teaching church. But we were, they, it was a church-going community. And so most people in that community were going to go to church on Sunday somewhere. And a person would come to church and hear enough preaching and enough of the Word to produce a conversion in their life. That's rare nowadays that somebody just decides to come to church enough to hear enough preaching to produce a conversion in their life. And so you have to teach them a Bible study, and, 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 and once they get enough word and faith grows in their heart and they have enough uh, faith to exercise that and, and, and be converted, well, that's the goal, right? And so uh, the Bible study is the best way I know how to do that, one-on-one Bible study. And I don't think it matters which Bible study you teach. Everybody, they're all good. Whatever you're comfortable with, okay? Um, uh, one hour, I mean, I, I teach a long Bible study. I, I call it the Morrell Cornwell method. I'm a Morrell Cornwell disciple. He, he impacted me when I was a young man. And so I'll teach somebody a Bible study for two years if they'll let me keep coming, okay? Uh, I will. And, and so... Uh, The Bible study is just a tool, okay, for you to get in their home and talk to them about the Word. Not everybody needs the same spiel, okay? You get in that house, and you're going to deal with a problem. The reason 95% of the people, and that's an arbitrary number, but based on my experience, 95% of the people that come to church come because they got a problem, and it won't be just few minutes into it, you're going to find out what it is, all right? And you can, you're going to have to deal with it. And usually they have a problem because they've been ignoring some scriptural principle in their life. And so that's where you start, okay? And so the Bible study is just a, a track to run on, so to speak. And so uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to watch the Word of God. I'm going to tell you. If somebody is just coming to your church and they're not receiving the Word of God, it's not being implanted in their heart, they're going to stop coming to your church. Okay? Because you can't compete with the church down the street. If they're just coming because they're comfortable, they're coming because uh, they like the fellowship, they're coming because they like the music, they're going to find somebody that outdoes you on fellowship, that outdoes you on music. Now, they can't find somebody that's going to outdo you on spirit. They can't find somebody that's going to outdo you on power, right? And, and, And this is where... Man, you need miracles. You need miracles, okay? Uh, God's got to intervene in this process right here, okay? You've done all you can to get them here. You've signed them up with a Bible study, but you are not the Savior. God has to show up. Hallelujah. 
I'm always looking for opportunities that when I, they talk, talk to me about their problem, I say, you know what? God can fix it. Let's pray about it right now. Amen. Right now. God's going to give you an answer. God's got to do that. It takes the miraculous, okay? And so uh, there's always a, I look for that. that there's going to be a service. There's going to be an answered prayer. There's going to be a dream or a vision. There's going to be something that bonds that person to you, and they begin to see you as the deliverer in their life. And, and that's got to happen, and you got to pray that it happens, and that's, you need to evaluate. Uh, my wife and I talk about it all the time. Well, what about so-and-so? Well, I'm not sure they really are, you know, they're coming. You know, I've got one guy coming now. His name is uh, Sam, and uh, he, uh, he's coming because he's got a friend that's coming. The friend is coming because she got mad at the other church she was going to, it wasn't a UPC church, but it was a denominal church. I'm going to lose all of them if something doesn't change. Okay, I know that. Now, they've been coming and paying tithes for four or five months, maybe six months, eight months, eight months, coming, paying tithes. I'm not fooled. There hasn't been the supernatural connection that needs to be made for them to see me as their pastor and the one that speaks spiritual things in their life. They haven't accepted the fact, even though I baptized both their teenage kids in Jesus' name and they received the Holy Ghost, these people have the Holy Ghost. I still haven't baptized them in Jesus' name. They don't have it yet. And I'm looking desperately every day Every service, I'm looking for the connection to where it opens up. It's like, you know what, I, if I'm going to be saved, it's going to be right here and through this message. Right? They've got to, they've got to make that connection. And so um, I, I'm into two lessons here, and I know I'm not doing a very good good job but it's this I'm talking about soul winning principles right here this is about soul winning uh, that that spiritual connection that you have to make so uh, then it, you get to the place to where you you have like right now I have eight families in Plymouth that I'm working on and they're at different levels now the, the the key is I know what level all eight of those families are at okay if you don't know that and you don't know what level they're at and what stage they're at, you will mishandle them. Now, if you're a commercial fisherman, I've watched, uh, catching a halibut or whatever, that's a big fish or can be a big fish. Well, you, I would probably, if I went out, just, you know, me and my wife got a boat and decided to go out and catch halibut and I happened to hook one, I wouldn't really know how to land it. I may never get the thing in the boat. I may... You know, because I'm sure it takes special knowledge and skill. What you know, I, it's complicated. So is winning souls. And just because you got them on the pew, you got to get them on through the Red Sea. You got to get them baptized in the cloud and in the sea, and then you got to get them to Canaan land. Right? And so I know where they. They are, and I, I manage that. That's one part of the, 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 the puzzle, but you can't stop having new people come in the door. Okay, so what happens is I know it's possible. It would break my heart. I don't like to speak negative things, but I could lose all eight of these families. And I don't expect to, but realistically, I've been doing this a long time. I'm probably going to lose four of them. And I don't know which four. And I'm not going to try to decide which four because things can happen. But I know this, I better get some more people coming in the door. Okay. 
if I'm going to have sustained growth. Somebody came uh, do some outreach in one of the churches that I started, and they wanted to go play golf with me, and so they told me they had a goal. They were going to a city. They wanted to win and disciple a 1,000 people in one year. Asked me how to do it. I said, I have no clue. I said, but if you figure it out, you come tell me because that's what I'm going to start doing. You know, I don't know how to win and disciple a thousand people in a year. (laughs) But what I'm talking to you will produce consistent, steady growth, okay? I hope God comes and does a miracle and doubles your church. But I don't think I can help you plan to double your church, okay? But I you you I can help you plan how to have a consistent growth. So you keep more people coming in the door. You get you 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 have to count. Part of accountability, uh, the word is it counts right in the middle of it. Okay, so you've got to track these things. You need to know how many first-time visitors you have come through your door. You need to know how many come back the second time, and you need to know how many come back the third time. If you're doing a really good job, somewhere around 25% of your first-time visitors will come back for the third time. That's if you're doing a really good job. Most people get about 10 to 15% because they don't follow up aggressively. Okay, And so one of the things, if you're having trouble, and every, every field is different. I'm so totally off my notes here, but... Um, Every field is it's totally different. Some, the most difficult part of the process in Ann Arbor was getting people in the door. We struggled to get a visitor. I went five or six months one time without one first-time visitor. It was excruciating. Hired interns, passed out 40,000 pieces of literature one summer, paid for two interns to do outreach. Zero. Now, in Ann Arbor, once somebody did come to church, which was usually after you had taught them a Bible study for a year, they tend to stay. Okay, so inner city Detroit, I could have, I could spend $150 and have 100 first-time visitors in church next week. I could do that every month and still not have one convert at the end of it, okay, because it's a different, so whatever field you're in, you're going to have to figure out uh, how the combination to that. But that's the key. You've got to get them in the door. You've got to get them to come back the, the second time, the third time. You've got to get them in a Bible study. And then, of course, you've got to get them converted. You have to get people filled with the Holy Ghost. People have to uh, be baptized in Jesus' name and fill the Holy Ghost. You can counsel them all you want to until they are regenerated, uh, until they are changed, until they are born again. You're never going to fix all their problems. And you can spend the rest of your life fixing problems. I'm all for uh, celebrate recovery and all of these programs that help drug addicts. But I'm going to tell you the thing that's got to help a drug addict is the Holy Ghost, okay? they got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, that that is the ultimate uh, key. And so we do all of these things, but it, you, you, you have to close a deal, okay? And uh, sometimes you need a little help with that. It's, it's, it can be tough in a church of 15 people to have a red hot altar service okay you try and you do and some days it works and some days it doesn't work okay uh but you do your best but sometimes you get somebody to come in get an evangelist to come in that's good at praying people through uh the holy ghost i'm away from our church this week i tried to get brother Guerrero, who is a neighboring pastor he's great at praying people through i tried to get him to come because i wanted 
get him to get some folks prayed through the Holy Ghost and some people renewed in the Holy Ghost. Uh, you got to have people speaking in tongues in the altar if you're going to grow a church. They got, it's got to be happening. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, and, and you know what? Uh, if, if your ministry is more of a teaching ministry and, and you've never had an evangelistic thrust to your ministry, recognize that and get some help. Get some help. Uh, it takes the five-fold ministry to build a church. Amen. Amen. And uh, you got some people that need, I will tell you this, uh, it's difficult for you that if you go out, you knock the door, you make the contact, you build the relationship, you get them to come to church, you're teaching them the Bible study. It's hard for you to pray them through to the Holy Ghost sometimes. Because sometimes people get stuck, and you got to shake them a little bit. You know, I'm, I've only got five minutes here, okay? I'm not doing an altar working seminar. But sometimes people need to be pushed a little bit. Raise your hands, you know. Come on, speak out, you know. Praise the Lord. And, and, and if you have been, this is your baby, what happens is you're, you don't want to push them too hard because you don't want them to, not, to cancel the Bible study next week. So it's always good if somebody else can get pushed and you stand. It's kind of good cop, bad cop. I'm just telling. Uh, uh, Brother Brian Jones, who now pastors Ann Arbor Church, we were great at this because all the Ann Arbor people came in and they're so tied up, bound up. You know, 51% of our community had a master's degree or higher. Okay. 89% had a bachelor's degree, okay? And so they were just bound up with intellectualism. And so uh, his Bible study would come down the altar, and I'd be on them, okay? My Bible study would come down the altar, he'd be on my Bible study, right? And uh, sometimes he, had, he would say, in fact, I was telling you yesterday about the Burmeister family, the Presbyterians, he said, uh, you know, he said, this is a big fish. He said, I'm going to need some help landing it. I mean, that's the terminology we use. You know, you got a big fish. You can't get it by yourself sometimes, okay? And you need some people to help you. And that's why uh, you. It, it's great uh, when you get that person that can come alongside of you in a church and you can start uh, more hands to, to help. Um, there then I, I have a very systematic way of discipling people. I will tell you this, and I'll, I'll email my discipleship material to Brother Blackshear. It's free. You can have it, okay? And, and this is what I use in a group. But I will tell you, when you're starting a church by yourself, discipleship and home Bible study, it's all the same process, okay? You know, you, you got to have one convert before you have ten. Right. Okay. So you got one convert. You can start a formal discipleship class if you want to, but it's going to be kind of awkward. Right. I mean, you got one. You can say. <laughs> so you do it one on one. You know, you just do it through your uh, home Bible study, and you address needs. Uh, one of my favorite tactics is relationships. If you can start helping people work on their human relationship, it requires uh, biblical principles to have human, healthy human relationships, okay, because God set all of this up. And so you get a man to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Wow. I mean, it just, other things just flow out of that, okay? Uh, you, so uh, you, start, you start there. You start with their pain, and you disciple one-on-one as you move forward. And I'm talking about when you get up 50, 60 people. Now you, you need to start having more formal discipleship. But in the beginning, for me, it's, it's one-on-one. And then uh, I, and that, that process never stops, really, right? I mean, you don't say somebody's discipled check the box, right? Now they need to get involved in ministry. They need to start teaching a, a Sunday school class or they need to start praise singing or something. That's all part of their discipleship, 
okay? And then, you, and then you just start it all over again, and you've got people in this whole process, and you've got to know and understand where people are. Did they just come into the door? Have they been a second time, third time? Are they ready for a Bible study? Or where are they in their Bible study? And is it time to really focus on them receiving the Holy, Holy Ghost, right? Sometimes you, you teach people, and, and they have faith. It's not enough just to teach people the Word. They have to respond to the Word in faith, Right? And so it's the word mixed with faith. And so uh, you can teach, 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 but if nobody's making any responses, if they're not uh, obeying the word that they know, then why teach them more? Right? I mean, the just shall live by faith. Um, And I'm trying to look at the time. Since I'm already using a shotgun, let me just keep on, okay? Uh, <laughs> no, no need to try to get back. Uh, you know, faith is invisible to us. I can't see faith. Uh, God can see faith. Uh, he said, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. That's not an indictment. That's just the facts. Okay, I can only see Physical, I can't see the invisible. So the only way I can see faith is through obedience. Okay, I see evidences of faith. And not all acts of obedience, I can't even really tell that. It could just be an act. For example, somebody could just be, being, be baptized and not have faith. I wouldn't know that. God knows it. My job is to baptize them, Right? Now, it's just like when I marry a couple and they say till death do us part. I don't know if they mean it or not. Right? You don't know all of that. But you, you have to uh, become uh, skilled at seeing faith. Now, I just said you can't see it. Now, I said you've got to become skilled at seeing it. You, there's evidences of faith. There's, there's actions you can see. You know, one of the primary things is uh, church attendance. I will tell you this, you can't uh, disciple people and they can't grow into a mature Christian if they won't come to church. They have to come to church. And you know what, all the friendships that you make in the community and the People love you and all of that. You have to be willing to leverage that. You can't just be the mayor of your city. Okay? And everybody just love you. and like, No. You have to leverage that relationship. I will push a relationship to the brink and, and ultimately to the point of them rejecting me to get them to church. They're not going to be saved if they don't come to church. Lack of church attendance is willful sin. It really is. The church is primary in God's universe, the local church. Okay? And, and I, was, I, I learned this in my first church plant in Ann Arbor. I pulled, I've been teaching this lady, 95-year-old lady, a Bible study for months. And uh, we were having a good time. She was baking us cookies, and, and she was a sweet lady, and, and we were, uh, she loved us coming over. And I remember, but she wouldn't come to church. And she went everywhere else. She could drive. She went to shopping. She, and so I pulled up in the driveway, and the Lord said, How long are you going to keep doing this? I said, Well, I'm going to do it until. He said, she won't come to church. said, she knows to come to church, and she won't come to church. He said, you're going to go have church in everybody's house in this city? Well, he said, I will not change my plan for her. And if she will not obey my plan, then she can't be saved. It was an eye-opener to me. I can't change God's plan. 
As much as I want some, you know, we, we get invested in people. We really do. I know. I'm telling you. Uh, church planning is tough on you. And I'll be crying in just a minute talking about people that I have invested in and they've walked away. And, and I mean, it, it hurts. And, and you can't get jaded about it. You can't build up a tough shell. you got to do it again. If somebody stabs you in the back, you've done everything you can for them, and now you're the, you're the devil. Why is it that way? They don't just say, okay, it's good. We'll just agree to disagree and love you. Hey, y'all maybe come over hot dog. No, it's you, you, you are, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it turns ugly. And you know what? You have to get off the phone with them and say, and hurt, and then pick up the next call and say, hey, yeah, we'd be glad to come over. You know, I mean, and so you got to know that you're doing this for God. And he suffered, and you've got to be willing to suffer some rejection. And uh, you've got to uh, continue this process. No matter what happens, you've just got to go to the next one. And and you've got to leverage those relationships. Uh, You're going to have to look people in the eye and say, you know what, you've got to stop doing that. I was teaching a couple of Bible study, and they um, were doing good in the church. He, he was still smoking, and I hadn't said anything to him about it. He knew he should quit smoking, and he was struggling with it. And they were making progress in other areas, so I hadn't addressed it in his life. I had addressed a lot of other things, but not that. And so we were closing out our Bible study. We were holding hands. We were praying. And while we were praying, the Lord said, you need to talk to Paul right now about smoking. And so we said, amen. And I said, Paul, I said, the Holy Ghost just told me it's time for you to stop smoking. He dropped his head. He said, Pastor, he said, I know, said the Lord's been telling me the same thing. He said, but I've been struggling with it. I said, well, we're going to pray right now. God delivers you instantaneously from smoking and so we prayed and I said now if it doesn't happen I said we're going to get the patch (laughs) okay so So it it didn't happen and why I got him the patch he was uh, he had he was unemployed that sound familiar okay Uh, he had had a good job and uh, he was in between jobs and I uh, and he, well, he was selling cars, but he was in that, you know, people selling cars. It takes them a while to make a little money. So he, he was selling cars, and, and uh, so he couldn't afford to patch, so I bought it for him. And uh, I couldn't afford it either, but I bought it for him. <laughs> so, you know, he got off smoking, and uh, it took him uh, a few weeks. And so a few weeks later, he was selling cars, and... At Dunning Toyota, Scott and Linda, he was selling cars, and um, his old boss came in. He used to manage a health food store, and so he said, his old boss came and said, Paul, said, man, said, I've been looking for you. I lost your phone number. He said, he said I can't believe I've just run into you here. He said, I'm telling you, he said, I'm opening a new store, and he said, I need a manager for it. And he said, I was wondering if you'd be interested in it. Paul said, I think I would. He said, well, it pays $70,000 a year, and, and you get a car to go with it. Paul said, I think I'm really interested in it. <laughs> so um, he started working for it, got his job. And so three or four weeks later, he was uh, uh, doing something at the store, and the owner came by, and they're talking. He said, I'll tell you what, Paul. He said, I really believe in this health food business. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm serious about it. He said, for example, he said, if you'd have been a smoker, he said, I wouldn't have hired you. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, you know. And so you've got to be willing to, you're not, I, I, you're going to have to get your fellowship needs met through your other ministers, friends, right? Come to district conference. Go visit your neighbor and pastor. You can't uh, need those people more uh, than they need you. You can't... Uh, uh, 
this is, that's not why you're in this thing, is to get fellowship and get affirmation for who you are. You've got to get that from Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so you, you are um, constantly looking to move uh, people forward. And, and, uh, and, and I've got to close here, but it, it's, it's systematic. Okay, it's systematic. And I want to tell you, the devil wants to get you depressed. And you get disappointed. And you know what you want to do? You want to pull the cover over your head. And the fear of failure is suffocating. We preachers are pretty tough on each other. And we compare ourselves and we got big egos. And we do. We're human. It's like anybody else. And we're always trying to impress one another. And we don't always tell the whole story. You know. Uh, we don't. And you can get to working with an imaginary audience out here. And you got to forget the imaginary audience. And know that you're working for Jesus. And you got to let him flow through you. The only thing you can fear is whether or not you're pleasing God. Whether or not you're pleasing God. He's going to take care of you. I said he's going to take care of you. Amen. He's the church planter. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Yeah, you're, just, you're just a conduit there. You're just a tool for God to use. He's doing it. And you've got to stay in tune with him. And you've got to obey his command. You're going to do some things you don't think will ever work. But God whispers in your ear, do this, and it's going to work. One of the board members in the Ann Arbor Church, I remember, was out doing outreach. And the Lord spoke to one of our men and said, uh, go. The guy was walking on the other side of the street. He had on purple shorts. And uh, God said, go give a flyer to the man in the purple shorts. And he had to cross four lanes of traffic in downtown Ann Arbor to do it. And he was like, well, that's just me. Maybe I just saw his purple shorts. And so he wasn't, he, the Lord said, I said, go give that guy a flyer in the purple shorts. And so a guy, he, he, he goes across four lanes of traffic, tracks him down around the corner, gives him a flyer. And the, 20 years later, the man's still serving the Lord today. Got his minister's license. Amen. So it takes a miracle. Amen. Let's just praise the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that you'll encourage us today. God, that you'll strengthen us today. Oh, God, strengthen our hands. God, give us wisdom, Lord. Oh, Jesus, help us, God. You're the Lord of the harvest, God. You give the increase, God. You give the increase, God. Lord, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.